Blog Talk Radio. Archangels, ghosts, and Bigfoot. Oh my. It's just another night for Supernatural Girls. Real stories, real answers to life's biggest supernatural mysteries. And now, for another exciting interview with paranormal experts from this world and others. Here's your host, paranormal researcher Patricia Baker, on the one, the only, Supernatural Girls. Welcome, everyone, to another exciting episode of Supernatural Girls Radio. I'm your host, Patricia Baker. It is December 6, 2023. I'm here with my co-host, PK, all the way from Tucson. So, PK, how are you doing tonight? Absolutely fabulous. It was a lovely day today. A little bit of warmth in the air. It felt so good. Getting us out of our hot summer, knowing that tomorrow will probably be cold as Hades, but that's okay. <laughs> it's going to be cold in Tucson. What does that mean? It's going to be 60? <laughs> Not that cold. <laughs> <laughs> Everything is a little crazy these days. That's for darn oh, sure. Oh, goodness. Well, yeah. you want to see cold, you know you can come here anytime. We're already down into the 30s, so. <laughs> I'll look at the pictures. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I was taking a look at some things here. And I realized that we are now in the shadow period of Mercury retrograde. And Mercury yeah. retrograde takes place December 12th to January 2nd. That's a little bit of a shadow period going into it. So anything to do with communications, electronics of any form, uh, any kind of messages, anything to do with business, travel, anything that's going to get in our way. Also pay attention, computers, telephones, I could attest to that, and anything to do with uh, legal documents, or be very, very cautious. Many times these things will pop up, you'll take a look at it, but don't put anything in concrete, wait till the retrograde ends, because you're going to find that some of the things you thought were perfect aren't going to be. So if anything breaks down, put it aside, try it again when the retrograde is over. You may be surprised it starts working again. So it's an excellent when time. When does to... it end? When does it end, PK? January 2nd. But January remember 2nd. that the okay. shadow period prior to and ending. And after. So although yeah. it will end on the 2nd, we've got uh, about another five, six days. We're saying right. out, shall we? So in okay. the meantime, don't bother returning things that you don't like. Wait till after that period of time. Then you might find what you really do want. Hmm. Okay. Retrograde we we know now. You know where we sit. <laughs> this is very helpful, yeah, especially when it comes to these retrogrades, because they do have quite an impact. Unless, as you they're mentioned... The person was born during a retrograde, then it doesn't affect them that way. No, it does not. But think of it this way. Retrograde is for a short period of time. It doesn't affect them, but the rest of the year affects them. So oh. I think I'll take the retrograde. I mean, think yeah. about it. The <laughs> okay. Lord give it and the Lord take it away. Not a doubt in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But, well, thank but you. it's the next thank you. time to, re- to revamp old projects. Get rid of things that you want to get finished up. It'll give you a great time to take a look at things once it's over and get that aha moment that you feel like you've really been successful at something. Well, that's a feel-good thing. Okay. Mm-hmm. We can all strive for that. That sounds wonderful. I'll well, keep trying. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Tonight we are going to be talking about a subject that is near and dear to both of our hearts. We love Egypt. Ancient Egypt, which is still a big mystery to all of us in many ways. There are just so many things that still need to be uncovered and revealed. And tonight, we are lucky enough 
to be honored with an author and an expert. Jose Maria Barrera is with us tonight, and he has the most gorgeous book. You can pre-order it on Amazon. It is called Dendera, Egyptian Temple of Time. Now, this book is stunning. I mean, we haven't seen the actual live copy yet, but we've seen the PDF, and it is absolutely gorgeous. Gorgeous. Jose has taken all these amazing photographs of the ceiling of this ancient Egyptian temple, which is in pristine condition. So you get all the vibrant colors. It's amazing. But there's still mysteries that surround this temple, what it was used for, and what these things mean that are all (laughs) over the walls and the ceilings. So Jose is here to decode this for us tonight. And Again, this is you're not going to hear this anywhere else but right here for right now because the book hasn't even come out yet. So you can pre-order it, but you won't be able to get a copy till like the second week in January. So you are very lucky to be listening to Jose Barrera tonight. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about him. He's a software engineer and an application architect. He specializes in data representation and languages. And he's been fascinated by alchemy and Egyptian culture for more than 20 years. He's also an avid photographer. His work has been exhibited in galleries in Chicago, New York City, and sold at Sotheby's auctions. Jose was born in Colombia. He holds a master's degree in computer science, and he lives in New York City. And again, the name of his new book is Dendera, Temple of Time, the Celestial Wisdom of Ancient Egypt. Jose, welcome to the show. Oh, uh, Patricia and PK, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here, and I hope I will not disappoint. <laughs> I'm sure you won't, no. Yes, it is totally our pleasure. So tell us, how did you get so involved with Dendera? What drew you in? Uh, okay, so that's a long story. Uh, one of the first things is that Egypt is a mystery and has been a mystery for generations, right? And until the Napoleonic expedition show up there in at the turn of the of the 19th century, uh, that was a place of legends and myths, and no, like very few Westerners have been there. And when the Napoleonic uh, troops and the savants that they called, they were like, they, they, they brought Napoleon, when he invaded Egypt, brought uh, 160 uh, academics with him to study and document uh, basically the invasion of Egypt. And that's the beginning of what we know today as Egyptology. And when they did that, and they got on all these marvelous places and all these temples, and they saw the hieroglyphs on the walls uh, everywhere, uh, one of the things that they had is that they couldn't read them because the knowledge of hieroglyphs had been lost for close to 2,000 years, mm-hmm. and nobody knew how to read them. Mm-hmm. So that, so you have this magnificent place, right, like all these forgotten ruins and the pyramids and all these places, and covered with messages, uh, beautiful messages, by the way, because the aesthetics of of the Egyptians were impeccable. And when when but it was part of the mystery is that these walls were covered with unknown symbols, so lost on time. And because of something that happened on that expedition, and is that they found the Rosetta Stone, which is basically uh, um, piece of granite that is inscribed in hieroglyphs and also in in ancient Greek. And because of that, they they were able to basically correlate the ancient Greek that they could read with the hieroglyphs. And that's how we started to decode uh, and read hieroglyphs. That was uh, Jean-Francois Champollion in 
1820, if I'm not uh, wrong, when when we first regained the knowledge of how to read hieroglyphs. So this place has been mysterious for a long, long time. And I love mysteries. I love is is something that that touches your curiosity and is is tantalizing to go to a place like this and you're underneath this magnificent ceiling and walls and place that is obviously made by great people and you have no idea what it is and to me that's unacceptable that I cannot sleep without knowing what's going on there so <laughs> So yeah, when when mysteries is something that really attracts my curiosity, and and I'm very curious. So uh, that's the, the same reason why I study strange things, and and language is one of those fascinating things. And and ancient Egypt is deeply deeply linguistic, right? Because of of their long history on, on language and so on. So when I saw this ceiling on this temple, and, and you arrived to this temple, and I was telling you before before we started here, uh, Patricia and PK, that one of the beauties of this temple and it, is that it's in pristine condition. It's like as if it was built yesterday. Although mm. it's more than 2,000 years old. So this temple uh, was was built... Uh, the, the the version of the temple that we have because in these sacred places they used to build temples and then take them down and build again on top of that and so on. So the current temple that is at Dendera, which is like 40 minutes north from Luxor, uh, that temple was finished in the first century uh, after Christ and it was built, part of that was uh, built by Cleopatra, uh, which was the last pharaoh of Egypt before it fell under the ruling of the Romans. So this is fascinating because at the south wall of the temple, there is an image of Cleopatra on the walls with her son and the son of uh, Caesar, Caesarion. Uh, so it's one of the very few depictions of Cleopatra that we have um, with her son. And they disappeared, wow. actually. And they were killed, right, like in history later on, and they disappeared. Mm-hmm. Mm. So so the whole history of this temple, and in general, in Egypt, everything that you look at is fascinating, and you can spend a lifetime studying it. Uh, it is gorgeous. It's gorgeous, and so so. Speaking of language, as, as you mentioned before, it's one of my my big passions, right? It's understanding language because it's the tool we have for understanding and for reasoning, and we are linguistic animals. Um, so I, I don't know how how deep do you want me to go on this. I could go on that. Well, let forever. me let me ask you some. Let me take you yeah. in a metaphysical direction because that there are so many questions about some of the things that are on the walls on the ceilings they i want to talk about what they call the melting steps that's a big deal that people are still questioning but one of the things i know your primary focus was the ceiling but you're also aware that on one of the walls they had a depiction of what some people are saying are two large light bulbs and that they were able to basically have electricity and that um, those those drawings basically say that. Now, you saw them up close. What do you think about that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's there's a lot of literature about that and and that depiction of what they call the the light bulbs of Dendera, right? Uh, it's not mm-hmm. only there, they're in, in various places. It's more in the temple itself, uh, outside on one of the walls, there is another one. And so, and, and you can find it in different locations in, in Egypt. And I think it is a case of pareidolia. I don't know if you know that word. Uh, but what pareidolia is the, 
is the ability we humans have to see faces on things, right? Like so, oh, so yes. we're we're, mm-hmm. we're pattern okay. matching. We're pattern matching machines, basically, which is, is an allegory. I don't think we're machines, but 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 is we we are we are meant to decipher and to find patterns around, and so. And, and we relate and we revert everything to things that are familiar to us and that are implanted in our memory. So, so one of those is faces, right? We, we are meant to see and recognize faces. And since the moment we're born, the first thing when we open our eyes and we see is a face. So, so we are wired to recognize faces. So when when you see a I don't know like a, a garbage somewhere or or people have seen like like the Virgin Mary shows up on a on a piece of uh, Wonder Bread on a toast, right? Right, we, right, yeah. We we create the patterns there. So so when you look when you look at what they call the the the, the light bulbs in Dendra, they resemble light bulbs, but light bulbs are a recent invention, right? And it is more like during the past, light bulbs if. if I'm gonna make a light bulb. It doesn't have to look like 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 our light bulbs could have a different form because all you need is vacuum inside a piece of glass, so so you can have an incandescent filament inside, so it doesn't burn out and it produces light. So so I think it's just they resemble this, but in reality there is a deep tradition and a deep symbology on this. And if you notice them, what they are is at the bottom, what they have is a lotus flower, which would right. be like the screw of the light bulb. And then mm-hmm. coming out of the lotus flower, there is something that looks like the filament, but if you look at it, it's, it's a serpent. And a that serpent yes. what, is a snake, and what it represents is the Nile. So, so the lotus flower is the symbol of the beginning of the universe. So that's the, the, the birth of the of the Nile, and and what you see around that that uh, what would be a glass on that right is the field mm-hmm. that is being swamped by 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 the waters of the Nile. So so it is it is deeply uh, related to the myth of creation and the flooding of the Nile, and and this temple is very related to that because the whole culture was about revolve around the the, the river. So I think. That's it. I, I think I, I wouldn't read beyond that, right? Like there, there are other mysteries that, that we can explore there, but that I don't think is one of those. I think it's only I agree with a, you. a case of pareidolia. Yeah, I agree with mm-hmm. you. I, I don't think it's a light bulb as much as it may look like that to us. A couple of things that tipped me off that it wasn't, and one of them you mentioned, which is the, where the filament should be. It's not a filament. It is a serpent. It's a snake. And, mm-hmm. again, all of this is deeply symbolic uh, for ancient Egyptians. And also the, the other thing was there's a djed, and that, to me, is a key for enlightenment you know, bringing light into the body and into the mind and into the pineal gland and all of that. So I, I'm fascinated by the symbol, and I wish we understood exactly what it meant, but I agree with you. I don't think it's any light bulb. Not that they couldn't have had electricity back then. They could have done anything as far as I was concerned. They were brilliant, but I don't think that that image is what people are saying. I agree. Correct, correct. Mm-hmm. I totally agree with you. And and the other thing that happens when when people do this is that the real mystery, right, and is the beautiful symbology and the wisdom of these people gets hidden in this in this kind of of, of interpretation, right? And is lost. Yeah. Because to me, the the real genius of these people is not if they have like electricity or not. Uh, to me, the real genius is when you go to this temple and you see the magnificence of that place and the harmony that is within those walls, right? It tells mm-hmm. you something very, very deep about human nature and, and what their culture, in their own terms, was able to achieve. So so I think that is way bigger and more mysterious and more sublime than 
Ah, yeah, they had light bulbs. Yeah, whatever. We exactly. Use, not a big deal. Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, we agree. That's absolutely the truth. Yes. Because they had this amazing connection that we can't even put into words today with life and death and other dimensions. I mean, they they understood so much more than we can even begin to think about. So, yeah, I agree. And, and you know, it's so important to try to get to these deeper symbolisms and, and what they're really talking about. What are they really saying, like you said, about human nature, about who we are and what we're capable of? So, yeah, we don't, we don't want to miss any of that. So what other mysteries did you find in Dendera? <laughs> okay, so... If you look at the history of Egypt, right, and, and, and you go and look at that place, it's an incredible place of contrast because it's the largest oasis in the world right in the middle of the desert. So mm-hmm. the Nile, every year, uh, there is uh, all these sediments in Nubia that is on the south of, of, of the mountains in Nubia, on the south of Egypt, right, where is where where the, the one of the affluents of the Nile is born. Uh, there are heavy rains in Nubia, and all these very fertile soil in the water and mud comes down the Nile, right, to the Mediterranean, mm-hmm. and so it floods basically the banks on the sides of the river every year, it used to until it was dammed uh, 50, 60, years, 70 years ago. Uh, but up to that point, the people who lived around the Nile live at the mercy of the ebbs and, uh, and, and flows of the river because mm-hmm. their life and their sustenance depended on the water and the fertility that the river brought. So they had two things or the elements who were basically the forces that determined their, their livelihood and their lives, right, where mm-hmm. the, right. The, the whole civilization and the whole society revolved around these forces. One of them, the sun, obviously, you have this scorching sun like during the whole year, right? And, and you have the yes. desert that is is dead, is literally dead. And and when you go there, but the the, the paradox and the beauty is that when when the when the river recedes after the flooding, it creates the most fertile land land on planet Earth. So you have this stark contrast between life and death because you have the most yeah. fertile soil in the world and pure, like, dryness and nothingness on, on the desert. And literally, if you go there, literally, you can put, you can stand with one foot on the greenest land in the world and the other one in the driest land in the world. Like, you, you, mm. you, you can literally step right there. So what is beautiful about this society is that they're living in this incredibly harsh environment, and they were at the mercy of this very harsh environment. And yet, they live in a paradise and full of blessings when, when, the, when, the, when the inundation was, when the flooding was, was correct and was right, uh, they lived in one of the most bountiful uh, places in the planet as well. So there is this incredible contrast between life and death, abundance and scarcity, Right? heat mm-hmm. and darkness because in the in during the night the desert gets incredibly cold. So so it's it's a place of contrast. And it's these human beings who had to live who happened to live around that place had to deal with this extreme environment and because of the way they lived and the way they harmonized with that environment, they managed to create the mo the longest a civilization that we have seen, and the most successful in many ways, a civilization that we've seen. Uh, so, so that's 
so profound and so beautiful. And and once you go there and you see these temples and and you see this culture and and what is what is left of it, you understand that this is the product of that environment. All their myths, all their hieroglyphs, all their ideas, all their philosophy is about their desert and their river and their sun and everything about it. Uh, and and it's, it's beautiful. It's, it's a poetic place. And it's so happy and so full of colors, even though these people were in the middle of this harsh environment and dead around them. You go to their to their places of burial, right? Like you, you go to all these tombs that they have, like, for example, in the Valley of the Kings, and yeah. there is not a something more happy and more sublime and more beautiful than this. So even at the darkest moments, which is death, they were able to find color and beauty on those things as well. So I mm. think it's, it's such a, a wonderful place because of that, right? Not, not, it's not perfect by any stretch, or it wasn't perfect, right? It was a brutal... A pyramidal <laughs> society, right? We were an absolute ruler who was a tyrant, uh, and it wasn't perfect yeah. by any stretch of the imagination because no. they're humans. And, but yeah, right. what we, they, they were had, able to achieve. Yeah, go ahead. Yes, this experience of of living in light and darkness, and yes, you're right. They did have these priests who are kind of evil in some ways sometimes, and they kept knowledge from the general population and they kept it for themselves and encode but they did encode it they encoded it in dendra and in other places as you mentioned but it's still a mystery to all of us that um, even the people that understand hieroglyphics i think a lot of the translation not a lot of it but some of it is not accurate so even though they they had the Rosetta Stone and, you know, this pattern and this way of interpreting what these hieroglyphics are all about. I think a lot of it still remains a mystery. Mm-hmm. And there's yeah, you're, you're, so much. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. You know, I, I think we. Yeah. No, what I was what I was about to say is that you're totally right. One thing is to be able to read a language. And another thing completely different is to be able to understand what what the language says or what the words mean uh, because first of all, these people and and in ancient is is not only true for them but in general in in antiquity, people wrote in allegory and myths so so we're missing the context the bigger context of things, so when they talk about gods right and uh, all these very funny-looking and strange-looking, we would call monsters, right? Because you see a human with a, the face of a yes. of a lion I'm... or a turtle or whatever it is. Right. So they're monsters. Yeah, an animal head. Uh, so, so, but the, the the funny thing about it, right, is that those are symbolic representations of attributes and other things that we we lack the context and we can. In, we can find uh, some of them pretty obvious, but but in many cases, when you see all these weird images that uh, today you would attribute, oh, these people were ignorant and they believed in in, in animal-headed gods, right? Uh, mm-hmm. That's not the case, actually. Those yeah. are just symbols that they use to represent deeper knowledge and deeper concepts. So so the gods who were called the nethers in, 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 in Egyptian, uh, what they were were actually the, the, the names of the gods are not nouns, like, like our names. They were adjectives. So basically what they were is attributes or fundamental properties of existence. Uh, so, so once you understand that, there, a, a door opens to be able to see a lot of this because you're looking at allegory and metaphors and in these myths encoded in these myths and they're not to take to be taken literally. Like like just like what would happen to something like the Bible, right? Like 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 the the myth of, of creation 
uh, and and the fall from paradise and so on. Yeah, you 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 could take it literally and say, oh yeah, there was a talking snake and Eve uh, had a bite from an apple and then they were expelled from paradise. Or you right. could see it as <laughs> awakening and and the fall into consciousness and the, into existence. Uh, so you can read those things at different levels, and I think the most basic and the most primitive way to read it is literally, um, and that's what would we do. So when Dawkins uh, starts uh, ridiculing uh, the writings in, in, in the Bible, for example, he's exactly at the same level as, as fundamentalist Christians because both of them are taking the book at face value, and they're saying, exactly. one is saying, oh, yeah, I believe in talking snakes, and the other one is saying, no, obviously there are no talking snakes. But both of them are talking exactly at the same level of <coughs> misunderstanding, or I don't know what what's the word for that, or not understanding, which is mm-hmm. the bigger picture and the, and the deep lessons that you can find and the, 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 the very deep wisdom encoded in these uh, stories and in these tales and in in these myths is lost when you just read them at face value, right? Yes, that's true. It's it's absolutely lost, yes. But yet, as you mentioned, you know, this culture understood many things. And I'll tell you something that I learned uh, a long time ago. The Egyptians knew that cancer cells died with high heat. So there's actual uh, transcriptions of how they treated people with cancer with high heat. Mm-hmm. And here we are today. I know there was a company called Celsian, and they developed a technology that was with uh, based on phased array uh, microwaves. And they treated tumors with high heat. And actually the MIT scientist that was working on this, he was the one who told me that they knew this in ancient Egypt and they treated cancer successfully thousands of years ago there. So there's an example. Yeah, see, there's an example of how. Yeah, that's I know, really, who knew? So, But this guy, thank God, uh, he knew about it and he was able to tell me that this is not the first time that heat has been used in treating cancer. So anyhow, it was very interesting. But it's just one of many things, because you mentioned that the whole ceiling is harmonics. And mm-hmm. now, in this day and age, people have come forward and said that they have found that sound is healing, sound and vibration can also heal disease, and, of course, there are the unlucky people that have been thrown in jail because they're talking about it quite loudly. However, it is true. They, there are ways of using sound vibration to treat disease. So, but it also has an effect on consciousness. So with this feeling that you've photographed the entire thing and, and put it all together, um, what about these harmonics you mentioned? How does that fit into this ceiling? Okay. So the goddess of the temple is the goddess Hathor. The goddess Hathor yes. is one of the most ancient uh, deities in, in in Egypt. And she was represented by she had different uh, forms. One of them was the cow. So, so you can see, like just like the holy cows in 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 India, uh, it was like the counterpart in Egypt, and it was a cow, and 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 she is the holy mother. She she represents at the end, at the very end, what she represents is life. She is the goddess mm. of life, and this temple is the temple of life, and she is the the patron or of many many different uh, aspects uh, one of them is music for example so she was a goddess of music in egypt and her instrument that is the system that is like a rattle uh, 
if you go to the temple and you look at the at the columns that support the ceiling that that there is the ceiling of the of the vestibule of the of the temple mm-hmm. these columns at, on the top they represent basically uh, this instrument the system and there are 24 columns or 24 uh, of these uh, instruments gigantic like seven story high columns supporting this temple so so the the, the ceiling so so these columns themselves right are basically the symbol of rhythm so so what you have encoded oh. on so what you have encoded in the ceiling is the astronomical rhythms this is an astronomical ceiling and that's why the name of the book is the celestial wisdom of ancient egypt is because most of the astronomical knowledge of ancient Egypt got encoded in this ceiling. And the ceiling is composed by seven gigantic panels, and each panel represents a different frequency of existence. And so, so basically the temple and this ceiling is a temple, is a, is a map of time. What it is, is a diagram of time. And what is interesting about time in Egypt which is very different to our perception of time today, is that we live in a world where our conception of time is linear, right? So, so mm-hmm. we go yeah. from, from the beginning to the end in a straight line, right? Uh, which is, by the way, yeah. very Judeo-Christian, if you think about it, right? Like it's, mm, it's, there it is a is. beginning mm-hmm. and there is an, and, and it's just a straight line. The time for the Egyptians was cyclical. So, so time, every time a pharaoh died and a new one was, 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 was born or was uh, put into place, time started again. So just like we split time in before and after Christ, what they mm-hmm. had were these pharaonic periods where there were cycles where each of these cycles was ruled by the 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 current pharaoh at the time. So they, their conception of time and the conception of the universe was cyclical, starting by the day and the night, right? And, and right. what they thought was that the sun in the morning was, was born, right, out of the sky, which is the goddess Nut, and, and then it grew during the day. And there is a beautiful depiction in the ceiling of the travel of the sun during the day. And, and what you see is in the morning is depicted like a little child, and then as it starts to go up and, and the day goes by, then it starts to mature, right? And right at the, sen- at the senate uh, at noon, the, the, the sun, the depiction of the sun is a ram with four heads. Like the ram is the symbol of potency, right? It's, is virility and is energy and the four heads what it means is right at the senate uh, at, at noon then the sun is looking to the four cardinal points so so it's not that they believe that there was a ram in the sky with four heads right it's a symbol yeah. of potency mm-hmm. and, and and the senate and and once you you get in, into your head that mindset of looking at egyptian art and symbols like that then a door opens to you where you can start seeing and interpreting these things. And, and then to continue the story of the, of the flight of the sun, uh, uh, the journey of the sun during the day, then in the afternoon you start to see how he's an old man, right? And then, mm-hmm. and then at sunset uh, the sun was supposed to die and then it went to the afterlife and he had a trip underneath the earth, they thought. Uh, and it was like during the night, the ordeal, and then it was resurrected again the morning after in the new sun. So, so you see, this is one of the basic uh, cycles, or the the most basic cycle that is the cycle of the day. And so, so this gives you the frequency of this is 24 hours, right? Like is is the day. So, so, so now you have one frequency in one of these panels. Then if you go to the other side of the ceiling, like the counter side after the, the central axis, there is another one 
where what you have is the cycles of the moon. So, so all of a sudden, the frequency of that is 28.5 whatever days. That is the, the, the lunar cycle. And so as you start to see from the center and the axis of the temple, as you start to walk to the sides of, of this room on the ceiling, what you have is the center represents the present, right, which is the highest frequency possible, right? Like, and and as, as you start to move to the sides and to the, to the, to the sides of the room, on the ceiling, what you have is lower and lower frequencies until the, the, the room is framed by the goddess Nut, which is the immovable sky, which is eternity, where time doesn't move. So, so what you have here is a map of the totality of time from the present to eternity. And that's what they encoded on this ceiling is the history of the universe in time, through cycles. Yes, that is incredible. Now, with these harmonics and all of this encoding, I know with with ancient Egypt, all of this had something to do with the human body, the brain. They were big on the brain. And (coughs) I'm wondering, I mean, all of these temples, according to one of our other guests, Lon Duquette, remember Lon PK talking about this, um, were constructed so that they were so powerful that when you went into these temples, these temples actually rearranged you. I mean, they they changed you. So here are well, all of these encodings. They, these temples definitely changed me, right? Like I, I wouldn't be talking to you right now here. I wouldn't have written the book if these energy, like in quotes, or these these harmonies that you find in this temple wouldn't attract me so much that I had to write this book, right? So, of course, yep. these, these things have a huge impact on, on your psyche. Yeah, Incredible. it changed you, you said. So how how did you notice it? I mean, did what did you notice about yourself that was different from being in this temple? Right. So... I'm an incredibly, I'm, well, I'm an engineer by trade, right? I work with computers. I'm hyper-rational, and as you can tell, right? Like, like I'm, I'm very deductive and inquisitive about things, and to me, reason and evidence are an incredibly important tool in, in my understanding of the world, and, and, and I'm an empiricist. I, I need, I need to, to experience things uh, in order to believe them. Uh, one thing that happened to me, and I, I've been in, in many sacred places around the world, like like uh, the European cathedrals, um, which are magnificent in, in other ways, but the times I've been there, they never talked to me, really. They never, they never sang to me. Mm-hmm. Now, on this temple, when I, when I came into this temple, and I walk underneath this ceiling, and I was in that room and the rest of the temple, I felt this warm presence, this psychological thing, so cozy, so beautiful, so interesting. It's the only place where I have been in the presence of the divine, as in this place. Wow. Wow. Uh, Okay. So yeah, that's that's and is I I what I told you I'm an empiricist, right? I need to experience things. That was my experience at the temple, like the first time I went in. And and the reason why and this book at the end is a tribute to the goddess Hathor and that temple, because I want more people to experience that. Uh, but it's yeah, it's a tribute to 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 that, right? And and, and all this work was a tribute to. That goddess, basically, at the end. Gosh, uh, how remarkable that you were able to have that experience. And again, with Hathor being a goddess energy, so so it would be more of the feminine principle, which would be nurturing and warm and enveloping. And terrifying at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> and horrifying. And, and Hathor, Hathor, so Hathor.
author has those two aspects, right? So on one side, she's yeah. nurturing and prote is the protectress and 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 vitality and renewal and all that. But the other side is she's a violent goddess. And one of her stories is that at some point she went to Earth and she started like killing people and she massacred so many people that the other gods were fearful that she would like end with mankind. And so so the goddess uh, uh, led by by the god Pot went and made her drunk with beer and she fell asleep and that was the only way to appease her was by giving her beer and and that's why she's the the, the goddess of drunkenness as well and on a <laughs> beer <laughs> but it's because she almost exterminated the mankind so <laughs> Yeah, well, wasn't she? Was wasn't the story that she was after the dark forces? That there was a the force of chaos, and that she was there to basically yeah. uh, get it under control. And so, yeah, uh, yeah, I wouldn't yeah, want to make her a, mad. No, I, have, I have. So she's very <laughs> loving, and and but I I wouldn't want to feel uh, a lot of respect you have to have for her. <laughs> Definitely, you got to be yes. on her good side all the time. Oh. Yes, yes. Like, have but, you ever you know, seen a mother protecting her children? It's like you don't mess with that. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> yes, and that's, well, I have a lot of respect for that's, that. That's what she represents. That's what she is. That force, the maternal force, the protection. The mm -hmm. oh, she's a cow, right? Like she, she. She's the goddess of the Milky Way of milk, right? Mm -hmm. Like nurturing, yes. uh, of birth. Of, so, so, yeah, that's that's. She's the the great mother, basically. Yes, it's just a, it's an amazing experience that you've had with all of this. And tell us about these what they call the melting steps. What is that? I saw pictures of it. It looked like right. they were kind of melted down the center. What what was that about? Correct. So, so what is interesting about the temple, and, and so I, I can tell you a little bit about this, and is basically you walk on, on there is this staircase that goes to the to the second floor of the of the temple to the ceiling actually, and and I can tell you a little bit about the anatomy of the temple because at the end, is this is the temple of life? You know what the temple is? A womb. So, so the oh. sanctum, the, these temples. The Sanctum Santorum, that is the inner chamber, the Holy of Holies, right? Mm -hmm. Is the whole thing is a womb, and and what what they had was all these rituals where they used to take the statue of the goddess to the ceiling, and they had these two staircases on both sides. But if you look at it, it's like the temple, in a way, is an allegory to the reproductive system of of the of the female. And, okay. and, and as you go upstairs, right, and they took the statue that is in the center of the temple, and they take it to the to the to the terrace of the of the temple to be united with the sun, with the the rays of the sun, to conceive a child. So, so the whole temple is an allegory of the act of the creation of life, of the miracle of life conception. Oh my! Okay, which makes perfect so, sense, right? Because she is the goddess yeah. of life. She's the, the, the yeah. holy mother. So, so these so, so what are these melting the steps? These melting right. steps so, are representative of what? So, as you, uh, I, uh, I would think those those staircases are the fallopian tubes, but that's my speculation. Oh. But when you are there and you look at this, is the transit of the of the Ovi, right, like going up, like descending, right? Yeah. Very, very interesting. Mm. Now, one of these staircases, it happens to be that when you look at the, at, the, at, the, at the steps, they look as if they were melted, like literally, and there is no explanation for it. They, they, nobody knows what happened. It doesn't look like 
like you you go to a lot of like medieval churches and all this, and you look at the at the staircases, and they are basically eroded by people walking up. But but the erosion of those staircases is different than this. This looks like right. clearly like as if as if it was melted. Could be something else. I don't know. But mm-hmm. but yeah, it looks like and they call them the melted uh, steps because they look as if they have been melted. Yeah. Yes, they did. They did, at least in the photos. So, yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also, again, with looking at Hathor as the goddess, looking at the feminine principle, there were always doorways with women to other realities. And that, did you see that anywhere, any depictions of that in the ceilings oh, or in yeah. any so, of so, the... So, literally, like if you think about it, right, the the conception of life is you are out of nothing bringing consciousness into this realm. So if that's not a portal, if the womb is not a portal, I don't know what it is, right? Because, yeah. <laughs> because it is literally you are bringing consciousness into this universe through that doorway. So so that's fascinating. Mm. And now the, these temples have what is called false doorways, and mm-hmm. many of them, where what you see is there is a wall, and you walk to the wall, and there is this door, like, uh, suggested, or there is a wall, a door on the wall, but there is no wall. It's just like you see a frame of the wall, but it's a wall. And, and there, mm-hmm. so there are, like, these portals to nowhere, like these doors to nowhere, because there is just doors, right? Now, what is interesting about this temple, because it's the temple of conception because of the goddess, is that at the back of the temple what you have is the goddess Hathor having birth. And you can see the image oh. of the goddess squatting, because that's the way the Egyptians uh, had birth, was by squatting. And, and she's squatting and having a, a baby and in a squatting position. Huh. Right at the back of the temple. Mm-hmm. Wow. Gosh. Now, <clears throat> when you took all these photographs, how many trips to Egypt did you have to make to get all of that? So all the photos, I, I did it in one trip, and it took me three oh. days, eight hours, eight hours every day on this room. And I took 5,000 photos of the ceiling during those my three gosh. days. You cannot imagine the pain in my neck after those three days. Because oh, no. <laughs> I was just like moving my tripod around this room and taking photos with my tele. And yeah, I took 5,000 photos there. Oh, my and gosh. So, so I was looking upwards for for three days, eight hours straight every day. Like I went... I was there at the moment that they opened the temple, and they kicked me out of the temple, basically, when they closed it in the <laughs> afternoon for three days. So I spent 24 hours taking photos, like 24, literally 24 hours taking photos, basically. There are 5,000 photos in 24 hours. Oh, my God. And That's it was a methodical thing. Basically, I, I, I tessellated the, the, the ceiling. I divided it into little squares. And then I was just moving, like, in a pattern around the temple with the camera and the, on a tripod and taking photos and taking photos and taking photos. And then at the end, that was, you know, the biggest pain was not the pain in the neck, but the biggest pain was when I came back with the 5,000 photos and I had to stitch them together to recreate oh. the ceiling <laughs> in high resolution. That, oh, my gosh. What a project that was like three months of work yeah like like working on the images and and if you think about it because i spend eight hours every day then the light conditions change because the sun is moving from the morning to the afternoon oh yeah so the lighting of the ceiling changes as the day goes along right because the 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 light that is reflected and enters into the temple changes so so but so all the photos have a different lighting kind of so I have to correct yeah. for that and I have to I have to write because I'm I'm a computer nerd 
I wrote software to correct and align all these. So, so the, the images look equally illuminated, all of them, so I could stitch them together. So that was another, a lot of math went into the, <laughs> trying to compensate <laughs> oh with the movement goodness. of the sun and the photos. <laughs> oh, <laughs> my goodness. Yes. Now, do you feel, I mean, obviously you feel a, a very close connection to this. Do you ever get any dreams or any other visions that really bring you back to that place where you may have lived before? Mm. That I that I that I've been there before I was in this incarnation? You you yes. question? Mm-hmm. Yes. No. No, never no. I, I had many dreams of this place because I'm and I guess in order to write a book like this, you have to be obsessive, and I'm super obsessive about things. Yeah. So, so, so I, I, I've been obsessed with this place for a long time, and while I was writing the book, yeah, I, I dreamt with the book, I dreamt with the goddess, I dreamt with the temple many times, thinking of uh-huh. trying to make sense of what the ceiling was, actually. And, yeah, I spent, like, I am asked uh, for this project at the end. I have a library, probably like 300 books on on ancient Egypt, and and mm. the funny thing is that there is no literature in English about this temple. There is very, very, very few things written in English, and the person who actually did the translations of the of the ceiling is her name is Sylvie Coville, and Sylvie Coville is a French Egyptologist who spent 30 years in this temple, talking about obsessions, <laughs> translating <laughs> and, and decoding every single symbol in the in this temple. So she's probably the, the, the person that knows the most about this temple in, in the world, right? has known since, since the Egyptians, uh, because she spent 30 years there. And But her books are impenetrable, basically. <laughs> they are... There are academic books, and, and all the literature of this temple is either written in in French or in German. So oh, my. When, when you try That's to go and see what it is, so, so when you go there and you, when, when you try to see what is what what is written about this temple, and you're trying to figure out what this means, it's like well, nothing, right? So so I have to get her books, which by the way cost an arm and a leg, all these, all these oh, uh, academic really? books. So they're like four or $500 a piece. Oh, my, oh my gosh. So, oh. so it's information that is truly hidden from, from people, right? They, at, at many levels, one is the price of the books. Second is the audience that these books are written to. Is they're academic, so they're for Egyptologists. So in reality, this book is truly the first book in English, that talks about the ceiling in depth. And well, that's I'm standing in the shoulders of giants, like this woman, right? Like, yes. She, she, the amount of love that she had for this place is incredible. And you too. I mean, this is an, a remarkable achievement, and you're giving this as a gift to all of us. And I wouldn't be surprised if when we each get a copy of this incredible book, that as we are drawn into the photographs and the pages that you constructed mm-hmm. for us, that we feel the same energy that you felt when you were there. Because I know you put everything into this. So this is, is just beyond a book. There is so much more to what you created here. And gosh, thank you so much, Jose. This is, no, this is just amazing. Thank you. Thank you. And yeah, you it's a labor of love. It really, it really is, right? And it's and and it's very humbling in a way because uh, this is not my 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 field of expertise, right? I, I'm. If you want to talk about computer languages, we can do that, and I can. Okay. Do it. But this is something that I have. <laughs> this, like like Egypt and 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 the knowledge of this, is something that I have to start from nothing. So, because I didn't know anything about this place. So it's very humbling, right? And then uh, to to write something you know on, a, on an unknown field to you, and especially such a complex uh, field like like is Egyptology and this 
history that, as you mentioned, we, we know very few things about it. So, but at the same time, it's very rewarding, right? And, and finding things that I know very few people in the world have seen because very few people, when, when, when you go there to this temple and you look at the ceiling and it's seven stories high, 110 degree, uh, and 10 degrees in the, in, the, in the shade, and people are rushed by, by their tours and all this, so they have like 10 minutes to look at this ceiling, which is dark. So the idea is you can have a telescope, which is basically a lens of my camera, and, and I was able to recreate the ceiling and look in detail, like every star in the ceiling and every, every little figure in the ceiling and every crack and everything in the ceiling, then you realize that you see things that very few people have seen before. And, and it's very humbling and it's very exciting as well because it's, oh my God, I'm seeing things that, and I, I've seen, I'm seeing things that nobody has seen. And, and that's, that's a fascinating, very interesting feeling actually. It is. I mean, oh my goodness. I mean, it's it's just I can't even imagine the feelings that you had when you were standing inside that temple and doing all this photography and then piecing it together. I mean, it is it is an incredible accomplishment and a gift, a, a true gift to everybody. So goodness me. Well, I am going to. I we mentioned we were talking about this off the air, and I just want to mention to everybody what we were discussing was um, a video I saw where somebody was addressing some things on the wall at Dendera. And they described them as two stargates. They were small. But there were uh, some harmonics written right above them. I'm very interested to know more about that. So I'm going to send this to you, Jose, and we would love your opinion on what you think this is. So, Or if it's possible... Yeah, if it's possible to get in a translation of what they did write above these, what she called gateways, who knows? I mean, it might not be, but it's possible. And if that's possible, I'd love to know more about it. And I know, PK, you're dying to know, too, so. <laughs> Most definitely. Most definitely. Yeah. You know, one, one of the things that I love about doing interviews is that a lot of ideas, like I think, I think knowledge is something that is shared, and and mm-hmm. when you are sharing with other people, and you're like, basically, the, when when you have the 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 meeting of minds, is when when ideas spark and show up, right? So so yes, this thing, this thing that I was telling you, I, I think is is very very interesting. I I haven't thought about it until I start talking to you guys. And it's this idea that the ultimate stargate, right, is mm-hmm. the female's womb. That's the portal yeah. to enter this universe. And that's fascinating. You guys have a portal inside. That's incredible. Uh, it is. <laughs> Don't we feel important now? <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> well, everybody, the name of this very important, very beautiful, very transformative book is called Dendera, Temple of Time, the Celestial Wisdom of Ancient Egypt. It is written by Jose Barrera, and we are so grateful, Jose, to have spent this time with you tonight. So enlightening and so exciting to be a part of this. Thank you. No, it's been my honor, and I hope I didn't disappoint uh, Not at pleasure. all, no. Our pleasure. Yes, it's just great, all just great. And please, Thank you we'll so much stay for in touch. Me. Yes, absolutely, oh, we'll absolutely. stay in touch. I'm... And yeah, as you have more information, you know, once you get these academic books and you start going through them, and if you find anything else that you want to come back on the show and share with all of us, we'd love it. So Definitely. please. Please oh, I, keep I in touch. I can bore you to death with this. Yeah, it's my passion, so don't, don't say that. <laughs> it's not boring to it. us. <laughs> no, it is, believe me, we find it just as exciting as you do. Thank you so much. Okay. Well, you take care, and we will be talking. So, everybody, we'll be back next week with another great show. And until then, we'll see you on the Blue Highway.
Good night, everyone. Good night. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for another radio adventure with Supernatural.